Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves yes. have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Left side, Swanson to first. Braves are champions. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, joined alongside Corey McCartney as we wrap up what was a very eventful 2022 season for the Atlanta Braves, whose season came to an end a bit earlier than they had planned, a bit earlier than they had expected, I'm sure, as the National League Division Series went the way of the Philadelphia Phillies, three games to one. So the reigning World Series champions, well, they'll get to hold on to that title for another couple of weeks. But after that, we'll see who will become the champion of all of baseball. We just found out it won't be the Atlanta Braves. So there's a lot to process, of course, for Braves fans, and we like to be a place for you to do that. Make sure you have subscribed to From the Diamond, wherever you get your podcast, And, of course, make sure you're following along on Twitter. I'm at Grant McCauley. He is at Corey J. McCartney. You can also follow the show itself at From the Diamond with an underscore on the end, all of those on Twitter. And, of course, you can hear us on 92.9 The Game on Saturdays throughout the fall as well and follow the station at 92.9 The Game. Corey, with all of that out of the way, you and I have been on quite a journey throughout the course of this season, whether it's here on From the Diamond, whether it's over in Battery Power, or anywhere else, uh, the journey has taken us. The 2022 Atlanta Braves have taken us on quite a ride this season. What stands out for you for this club, uh, one that won 101 games, the most in a couple of decades for the Braves, but it fell short of the ultimate goal? Yeah, I mean, it feels like you looked at a team that felt more equipped to win the championship than the one that did a year ago, and you get 101 wins, and you get to the division title the way in which you, they did, and it just felt like, man, they're in for another run. Now, whether or not it ended with the same parade that we got to uh, you know, watch a year ago was uh, to be decided. It was certainly, it felt like they were better equipped for it, and just to see the way that they had kind of fallen flat in that NLDS and all the, all the ways that you know, the things that got them there just kind of feel to seem that they had kind of fallen away over those four games against the Phillies. Yeah, it did. And it just felt like the club that did so much good down the stretch and that really had it come together at the end to chase down the New York Mets. Once down 10 and a half games in the division, the Braves found a way to catch up to and pass the Mets and actually knock them out on their way to winning the NL East. So you felt like Everyone was kind of riding high, but there were, I think, some cracks that started to show for the Braves, particularly offensively. You had some rotational injuries and question marks, and those couple of things seemed to really compound and get exposed a bit by the Phillies, who were a club that had to rally itself to get a wild card. They got in, beat on the St. Louis Cardinals to advance in the wild card round. And then once they got to the Braves, I mean, they just showed no signs of slowing down. And as you and I talked about quite a bit on 92.9 The Game over the past week or two, uh, particularly in wrapping up the series on Saturday, this is a Phillies club that it echoes so much to me about what the Braves were a year ago in finding their way into the playoffs, not necessarily being the most ballyhooed club, the one with the most publicity, the one with the most momentum, if you will, from the, the scope of the whole 162 games. But when you get to October, 
and you get in that room, get a seat at that table, you never know what kind of hand you'll be able to play and ultimately maybe what kind of hand you'll be able to deal out and you know advance and do the things that the Braves did a year ago. So I guess long story short, if anything, for the Phillies, they should look at what the Braves did in 2021 and ask themselves a very simple question, which is, why not us? I mean, yeah, we've said so many times at the playoffs, it just it's all about momentum, right? I mean, think about what happened with the, the Padres and the Dodgers. Yeah. The exact same situation, a team that finished so far behind in that division race ends up knocking out the division champs to get a spot in the NLCS to now face those same Phillies that we're talking about. It, you know, I mean, the, the the move to Rob Thompson with the Phillies and just yeah. the way that he seemed to just completely change the tenor of a, of a team that just see, I don't know, you know, something about – Joe Girardi and whether or not he applies too much pressure to the players and what, what, how, you know, the way he approached it as opposed to the way Thompson did, they just seemed to click. And obviously, you know, the Braves saw that first and foremost uh, over this series. They played tight throughout the year together. Mm -hmm. As Max Freed told us, there were no secrets between these clubs. Each knew what the other had. And, um, the, the Phillies just executed in so many different ways that the Braves just couldn't match. They really did. And I kind of wonder, you know, with Joe Girardi, who clearly had experience in the biggest market that there is. I mean, it's not like the Yankees didn't win anything under Joe Girardi, but it wasn't like they were winning the World Series year after year after year. But you thought maybe that that was the piece that was missing from the Phillies. Gabe Kapler didn't work out there. It worked out a little better in San Francisco, though they had a, an off year this year. But I would probably point to more injuries and underperformance for that. But, you know, the Phillies, it's like they needed a different message, and they got that when they went to Rob Thompson. And that, to me, is another thing that feels so familiar to the Braves because, remember, and now Atlanta was really kind of heading down the rebuild mode and were smack in the middle of the rebuild when Brian Snitker became the manager of this club. But it was time to change the message. It was time to have someone new at the helm. But for the Phillies, they were able to do it inside of a season and go on into the playoffs and do it by and large without Bryce Harper for a huge huge chunk of the season, their best player, they dealt with their injuries. They had guys that, you know, weren't able to perform under big contracts like Nick Castellanos, for example, who did show up in the division series. The Braves saw him get some big hits and make some plays there, but they overcame a whole lot of things. But this club, the 2021 Braves, and then even the managers of, you know, a long time, you know, lifetime baseballer getting a chance to jump into the helm and manage a club, much like Brian Snitker ultimately did for the Atlanta Braves, though it took a couple of years I think Rob Thompson kind of brought in some of that to the Philadelphia Phillies, and it's a club that rallied together. And as we watched them throughout the course of the season, I kept seeing guys come up and I'd say, well, he wasn't on the team last series. And then, of course, that guy would make a crazy play in the, in the outfield <laughs> or come up with a big hit, hit a big home run. The Phillies had some young players that jumped in and did a lot of things for them. And I just feel like these were a couple of clubs that were very similarly built and executed in a similar fashion as well. Yeah, think about it. Joe Girardi when he was fired – on June 3rd, they were seven games under 500. They were 22 and 29. They went 65 and 46 the rest of the way under Thompson, who ends up getting that two-year contract uh, and getting them, you know, to the postseason. Obviously, now yeah. along to the NLCS. I mean, just uh, you know, a, a absolutely dramatic turnaround and a guy who definitely changed everything in that clubhouse. If we had to look at the Braves' 2022 season and hand out awards, I know that you and I haven't spent a lot of time making up the trophies for this, so I'm sorry if these don't arrive in the <laughs> mail for the players in a timely fashion, and we may not have the budget for trophies. But if you could look at the Atlanta Braves and pick a pitcher of the year for the big league club, who would you give that out to? Because the candidates, let me just kind of lay these out, and then I'll let you choose, and then I'll throw my choice out there, include 
the ace of your staff, who I felt like delivered an ace-like performance all year long in Max Freed. You, of course, had 21-game winner, breakthrough pitcher Kyle Wright. You had rookie phenom Spencer Strider. And then I'll throw one in from the bullpen, who I thought Bell to Bell was the Braves' best reliever this year, and that was A.J. Minter. So if those are the four candidates, who would you choose as the Braves' pitcher of the year? Ooh. I think I would go with Strider because not only did you have the 13.8 Ks per nine, but he was so close in war to Max Fried. I think that was the thing that was most surprising. Just 0.01 behind him, despite the fact, you know, that he had joined the rotation so late in the season, pitched, you know, 54 innings fewer uh, than Fried did. So to me, I think it's, it's Strider just because of the overall impact. And just, I, I just can't remember the last time that we saw I mean, I say this because obviously Michael Harris, the second had a really nice season too, right. but I just can't remember the, the last time that you had a rookie pitcher where you just felt like you couldn't miss a start. And that across baseball, you know, it mm -hmm. just felt like when Matt, when Spencer Strider was on the mound, you didn't know what was going to happen. And we just have not seen that across baseball in some time. No, I feel like the Braves most special rookie pitcher prior to that was probably Mike Soroka in 2019, who could have won a rookie of the year award if Pete Alonso hadn't been busy hitting 50 homers for the New York Mets that year. But Spencer Strider took it to like this different level because while Mike Soroka is a terrific pitcher and we're hoping to see more of him in 2023 as he hopefully gets his career back on track. Spencer Strider, the fastest pitcher to 200 strikeouts in a season in terms of innings. If you do something that only Randy Johnson had done before you, you have gotten onto a pretty good list when it comes to strikeouts, in my opinion. But I don't want to be the dissenting vote, the one that would keep it from being unanimous, because I do think Spencer Strider is, in all likelihood, the Braves pitcher of the year for most people. But I would have to throw out more than an honorable mention, maybe even cast a dissenting vote for Kyle Wright, because his journey from first round draft pick to trying to make it into the rotation to going up and down between triple a and the big leagues and having a little success and then having a setback and then really feeling like nobody had a, a very clear plan for how they were going to use him. And if they did, that plan seemed to change almost from start to start for four years for him, for him to go do what he did in Gwinnett last year, for him to pitch meaningful innings in a world series after all of that. And coming into this season, having won what two career games, to go out and win 21 games and and really be the glue, I felt like, that held the Braves rotation together. It's not just about the 21 wins. It's about the consistency and, I think, about the accomplishment of overcoming all of the hurdles that were in front of him. I might throw a vote out there for Kyle Wright, and that's with all due respect to Max Fried and, of course, all due respect to what A.J. Mentor did in the bullpen because, as I mentioned, I felt like he was the Braves' best reliever bell-to-bell -bell this season. It's really remarkable when you think about the what went into the player development with Kyle Wright and with Spencer Strider. Obviously with Wright, you know, he felt can't miss coming out of Vanderbilt and it took a long time for him to get to the point where we're talking about him being the MLB wins leader with 21 and just having that remarkable breakthrough yeah. season that he had. But then Strider was a fourth round pick. You know, there were there were plenty of teams, including the Braves, in three other rounds that passed on Spencer Strider uh, in that 2020 draft. So the fact that they were able to do what they were able to with both of these guys and it really happening within the same season, I think is just it's a remarkable story of player development without question for both of them. Well, let's talk a little bit about player development because the Braves really cashed in on that and have been for years and years and years. You look around the diamond, you know, whether it's in the infield, the outfield, the pitching staff, wherever it may be. There's a homegrown talent probably there taking up a position, if not most of the positions on this club. I mean, 
mean, Ronald Acuna Jr., Ozzie Albies, Dansby Swanson, these guys were all pretty much entrenched. Austin Riley had his breakout season in 2021 and became, I feel like, an MVP candidate. And clearly, the Braves would like to have him around for the next decade. Then all of a sudden, it seemed like the next one in line, you know, with Spencer Strider, of course, and the pitching staff, getting that opportunity to go from reliever to starter at the end of May. Michael Harris II comes up from AA Mississippi and simply, I think, transformed what the Braves were doing at that time in the outfield, what they were doing ultimately in the lineup. And I feel like the trajectory of this club, it all seemed to coincide with two things. The emergence of Michael Harris and, and his elevation from AA and putting Spencer Strider into the Braves' rotation, whatever the reasons. And it takes 26 guys all season long, don't get me wrong. But the Braves went on a 14-game winning streak that seemed to coincide with those two guys really becoming a big part of this club and their plans. Let's talk about Michael Harris for just a minute. The, the biggest expectations or, or the most optimistic expectation of him this year, I would have felt like might have been a second half or late season call-up. But, man, were we all wrong about that? Because not only can this kid hit at the lower and middle levels of the minors, he can hit in the big leagues and he can do a whole lot more than that with the glove. I think back to his first game and facing Sandy Alcantara and Alcantara just throwing him three breaking balls that he just wildly swung through and just looked completely overmatched. And uh, a couple of weeks into, you know, what ended up being a, obviously a fantastic start to the, of a career for him. I remember asking him about this, that AB and he was just like, yeah, my, I, you know, against that guy, you have no idea what's happening. And obviously there was a lot of, of stuff swirling around in sure. his head at that point, uh, just being up, but man, he just made such an amazing impact when you think about, you know, from the offensive standpoint to what he meant uh, in the defense and in terms of, you know, really being, I mean, I think you could argue the best mix of defense and offense that they've had at that position since Andrew Jones hung it up. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I don't think there's any, I mean, in the fact that they've got him this young and he's locked up now with that contract and it's just uh I mean, it's it, there's nothing but positives you can say for a guy that finished one home run away from a 2020 season and played 114 games. I mean, the, the impact was undeniable. A 4-9 WAR, uh, you know, hit 36 percent above league average. He was just absolutely fantastic in every facet of the game. Yeah, in addition to being a five-win player, as you just pointed out, looking at his wins above replacement, I mean, this was a kid that did most of all of this, playing that gold glove defense, doing all the things he did offensively, and of course on the base pads as well. He's a threat there. He did it all as the youngest player in baseball for most of the season. I don't know if that is talked about enough in terms of just how good Michael Harris is and how soon, because, you know, as we know with players, and we'll see this with different guys at different times as they go through the progression of becoming, you know, a young player that establishes himself at the big leagues to a player that starts to, you know, hit his peak and get into his prime years. We haven't even gotten anywhere close to what could be the peak in the prime years for Michael Harris. So when you talk about an extension that got, I think, people really excited about the future, the present, all at the same time. I mean, Michael Harris II signing that long-term extension with the Braves to have him be part of this young core. I think that was one of the great developments, one of the highlights of the 2022 season. And there were quite a few of those when it came to long-term contracts. Yeah, I think back to the press conference with Alex Anthopoulos when they announced it. And he said, you know, kids can know they can wear that number 23 Harris jersey for years to come. Yeah. And I think it's not just about the fact that what he represents on this team, what he represents to, you know, an entire segment of, of baseball fans. You know, we think about, you know, the, the dearth of, 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 of black players in baseball and for Atlanta to have one that's homegrown. It's having the impact that he's having 
I just think he just fit. He just checks so many boxes uh, across the board. I just, I, he's just got long-term star, I think just written all over him. And obviously the Braves are very much in that same vein of thinking and locking him up with that extension. Yeah. You definitely see that. And knowing that he's an Atlanta area product, somebody who grew up going to Braves games, somebody who appreciates the legacy of this club and of all the great players, not just in recent memory, but all the players who have made the Braves who they are in the franchise's history. He came up and really, you know, carved himself out a spot and, and has opened up a door with an opportunity to be one of the great Atlanta Braves of probably the next decade, if not more. But we're going to see how his career plays out. But if 2022 was any indication, we should be pretty excited about where that is going. Now, it wasn't just Michael Harris the second getting a contract extension this year. The season started out with the longest contract and the biggest contract ever handed out by the franchise, and it came after a crazy blockbuster trade that signaled the end of one era at first base and ushered in a new one. And that, of course, is Matt Olson. Let's talk about his first season in Atlanta for a couple of minutes because I feel like there was going to be so much ink spilled over this, so much time spent on local radio and TV and maybe national TV and radio as well. With Matt Olson coming in, Freddie Freeman's departure, what did that mean for the club? And more specifically, you know, who is Matt Olson and what is he going to be able to do in his first year in Atlanta? He got off to about as good a start as you possibly can hitting-wise, but there were some peaks and valleys in this season for him. But if there was any time for Matt Olson to really put it all together and show up in a big way, I feel like he did it in that series against the New York Mets in late September, early October, and he did it in the division series against the Philadelphia Phillies. Unfortunately, the Braves didn't have a lot else offensively going on in that series. But as you look at the totality of year one for Matt Olson in Atlanta, you know, I, I would tend to give him a, a solid B, I think, for, for what it was in the first year. Yeah, there were some highs and some lows, and maybe that B is really carried and grading on the curve of how good he was at the end of the season, and a little bit of recency is creeping in there. But I feel like this is a guy that the Braves feel really confident about in giving him that long-term contract to be part of this team, one of those pillars that they're building around for a long time. And I would also punctuate that statement to say, I think the best of Matt Olson in a Braves uniform is still to come, but he gave you some reasons this year to understand and appreciate the kind of player he is and can be. Yeah, he had 34 home runs, drove in 103, hit 20% above league average, and was just a little over a three-war player. Now, obviously, that's a, a I say substantial, but a pretty big drop from a year ago when he was a five-war player uh, with the A's. But you think about just all he had to deal with, and talking to him and uh, Brian Snicker, uh, you know, and Travis Darnot, uh, you know, during the, the NLDS, just about what they saw him go through and obviously, you know, filling the shoes of Freddie Freeman, then having to watch Freeman come back and have that really teary eyed, you know, emotional reunion and just being that other guy. That's the new guy in the relationship. That's still there. And after the other guy leaves and you've had that teary reunion, he's still there and yep. trying to find his way into what he is in this, in this, uh, you know, the city and this organization. And obviously he went through a lull late in the season. You know, he told me it was one of the lower points of his career. Mm -hmm. Um, he, it was it, September before you got to that last uh, week there, where he ended up being the NL player of the week was the worst month of his entire seven year career in terms of way to run create a plus. And he ended on an absolute tear, had a really nice, uh, NLDS, one of the few guys in the lineup that did. And I thought it was interesting that Travis Darno said, even when he was struggling, he was still the same guy in that clubhouse every day. He was still joking with everybody. He was still, you know, maintaining that same, you know, level of, of teammate 
that they were used to having. And, you know, Olsen said that he just felt like that was just so important because you can't get away from this. You're going to have your ups and downs, but everywhere, every day you just try and be the, the same guy each and every time you walk in that clubhouse. Yeah. I think that kind of consistency and continuity of who you are and that character and, and just knowing that, I mean, a baseball season is going to take it out of you. And as I like to say, and I don't know if I kind of came up with this or if this is just something I heard along the way and it just through osmosis, maybe a good Google search would do me a lot of good here. But I feel like baseball is a game that humility is just a pitch away. So whether you're a pitcher, whether you're a hitter, whether you're a fielder, things can change drastically. You can go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. But typically over the course of 162, you will find those moments and everything in between obviously can play out in all of that amount of baseball throughout the course of a season. But I feel like Matt Olson got a little bit of the highest of highs, you know, the, you know, clicking on all cylinders coming out that first three weeks, looking like a guy that might hit 150 doubles. I don't think that was going to happen, but it was fun to talk about for a little while. But, you know, by the time he got to the end of the season and went through that September swoon that you just kind of wondered, wow, is this guy just going to disappear as the Braves are trying to chase down the New York Mets and then be a non-factor in the big games? Well, he answered that with a resounding no. I'm not disappearing. Here I am. Homered in every single game of that Mets series and, of course, uh, put on a pretty good show for himself in the division series, which unfortunately was not the best offensive showing for the Atlanta Braves as a whole. So I I think Matt Olson had himself a pretty solid first year in Atlanta. There were some definite highs and lows there, but I think as you move forward and look at first base and the consistency and the continuity that Atlanta wanted to have at that position, Matt Olson is a guy that they believe in, and Matt Olson is a guy who, much like some of these other players we talk about, should just now be entering the prime years of his career. So we'll see how everything plays out with him. In that infield, of course, the Braves had to deal with a big-time loss in terms of games played. Ozzie Albies was not available for a little over half of the season thanks to two injuries. First, it was a fractured foot that cost him exactly 81 games. Then he comes back, and in the second day of his return, fractures the pinky finger on his right hand and is unavailable for the final two or three weeks of the season, could not play in the postseason. I know, Corey, this is kind of a lost year for Ozzie Albies. There's just really no two ways about that, and I'm sure that was a difficult thing for Ozzie to have to grapple with throughout the course of the season as well. But I feel like as the Braves got down the stretch and into the postseason in particular, that is when they missed Ozzie Albies perhaps the most. Some guys filled in admirably at second base, and, and their contributions, whether it's Orlando Arcia or Vaughn Grissom, could certainly be noted as highlights from the 2022 team. But Ozzie Albies, I felt like, was missed maybe more than ever in that division series against Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, we just got so used to them being one of the top teams in terms of second base production, you know, with Albies, uh, you know, just doing his thing there. I mean, he had more extra base hits than any second baseman in the National League since he debuted. And yeah, for them to be 18th in the league in, uh, in war in terms of second base production, and they had a, a nice little run there from Von Grissom. He obviously fell off at the end. Uh, Orlando Arcia certainly had his moments as well. And I thought it was interesting that Alex Anthopoulos during Sunday's uh, media availability mentioned that, you know, Albies was, was going to be, was ready to go for that NLCS. You know, they had talked about it, you know, the day of the last game, but that he was going to be ready to go. And it's unfortunate that it felt like everything with Albies this season was just on the cusp. And then it was taken away. And obviously, you know, his return in the postseason very much in the same vein as getting him back for all of one day, uh, you know, in his return in the 2022 regular season. Yeah, and I feel like with Ozzie Albies, his team is just a different club altogether. And you know, every team goes through it. Every team has injuries. And, you know, the Braves went through it in 2021. with, And you can't talk about Ozzie Albies without talking about Ronald Acuna Jr. 
the Braves didn't have him for half the year, basically last year. And his return in 2022, I felt like kind of in a different way, but similar to with Matt Olson, there were some highs and lows throughout it, but it never really felt like Ronald returned to, and I know this is a crazy expectation for him, the MVP candidate that he looked like in 2021 before he got hurt. Because when you undergo a surgery like that, reconstruction of the knee, you miss essentially, you know, just short of a a calendar year's worth of regular play and your entire offseason and all you're doing is rehabbing and rehabbing and then, you know, rehabbing some more. This just felt like a season for Ronald to just kind of maybe reestablish himself and hopefully with 2022 behind him now, we'll be able to go into 2023 with A, a lot more confidence in that knee, with B, a normal winter to prepare himself for the season. And just the further away he gets from that injury, the more confident I think he's going to become in all of the different things that he offers as a baseball player, whether that's offensively, at the plate, on the bases, defensively, with his glove, with his legs, uh, with his arm, whatever that may be. I feel like we're going to see more of the best of Ronald Acuna Jr. ahead, and why wouldn't we? He's going to turn 25 this winter. I think people forget how young this kid is. I know that you know Ronald is kind of a lightning rod at times, and maybe this was one of the seasons where the worst of people showed up at times to kind of you know maybe judge his play and maybe forget about exactly how good he's been in the past and how good he could be in the future and be kind of a prisoner of the moment. But as far as the Braves and the building and the foundation of this club, this is a guy that in any given season, I feel like, can show up and be one of the five best players in Major League Baseball. And I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but that's my expectation for him in 2023 because I've seen how good he's been in the past. Yeah, and obviously the what we expect from him is just so substantial, right? I mean, you talk about, you know, across his career, uh, has hit uh, 134 way to run, create a plus in each of his, his full seasons. And he was 20% below that in the 2022 season. And, yeah. and along the way, obviously, you know, he can't play, you know, in, in a certain stretch of games and you're having him out, you know, he's having some issues with the knee and, you know, feeling it, it's, it's aching, it's painful, you know, he's having back. to play in the DH and yeah, the back, it just felt like you never got on that run where it's like, it's time to just take the shackles off and let Roland Cunha Jr. be Roland Cunha Jr. And he ends up, you know, go from a 4-3 war in the 2021 season to less than half that, 2-1 in 2022. And he played in almost 40 more games than he did the previous year. So it's just, I mean, it just, it just was never the same player. And now I think you really do have that hope that he gets that offseason now to just get that much more comfortable with the new normal that he has with that knee and get back to being himself again. But obviously the seals were there. I mean, tw mm -hmm. uh, swipe 29 bags and you know, those, that those moments with the power there, it's just, it was only, it only just felt like we were just getting glimpses Flashes, of what yeah. we were used to from him. And hopefully with this off season, you're going to go into 23 and he's going to be ready to rip roar and be Ronald Acuna Jr. again. Yeah. And I just, I feel like that's just the most sensible outcome for it. Because again, the kid's too good not to get back to some of the norms that he showed before, because he was establishing himself as one of the top, the premier players in all of baseball, not just the Braves, not just the national league, but in all of baseball. So the excitement that comes with a player like that, it would be great to see him be able to get back on that path after that injury kind of took him on a little bit of a detour, I would say, maybe in 2022 might be the best way to put that for both him and, and for the club. And I think that his best days are probably still in front of him. Again, he's going to turn 25 this offseason. So if you want to wish him a happy birthday, that'll be coming up pretty soon. And maybe the year 25 season, the age 25 season for him is going to be something that, you know, we're much more accustomed to seeing from what the first few years were indicating that he could be and I think will be. Anyway, all of that aside, we know Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to be back in the saddle in 2023. That much is a given. 
We don't know what the future of Dansby Swanson is going to be. We're going to be hearing from Brian Snitker and from Alex Anthopoulos here in just a moment from that postseason availability as we wrap up here on this edition of From the Diamond with some thoughts from both the Braves manager and the Braves general manager. Dansby Swanson is, I think, the biggest question that there is for the Braves in free agency or otherwise as you go into the winter of 2022 and look to forecast the club and what it's going to be. We saw all of these deals be handed out, whether it's Michael Harris or Spencer Strider or Austin Riley or Matt Olson or before that, Ozzie Albies and Ronald Acuna Jr. And forgive me if I'm forgetting anybody in the moment, but you saw all of those deals be given out. But we've seen over time, Dansby Swanson's just kind of in the background doing his Dansby Swanson thing. But in 2022, I felt like Dansby put so many different things together with the glove. You know, he was you know, one uh, toward the top of the list of outs above average. He just played an outstanding shortstop all year long offensively. I know he tailed off some in the second half, but he showed up big time with the moments in the Mets series. I know the division series was one to forget for him. I know it was one to forget for Austin Riley at the plate as well. But I think as we go into the winter of 2022, Corey, the big question is going to be, What's going to happen at shortstop for the Atlanta Braves? Any guesses? I want to say he's going to be back. I mean, certainly you think about the production. You know, he jumped to nearly three wins in terms of his what he did in 2022 compared to 2021. And this was the best way to run creative plus that he had across a 162-game season in his career. And I think that's the biggest thing is that you think about waiting to see when was he finally going to put it together? Well, he put it together on the year in which he could go out into the market and find out just how much that value uh, holds to a lot of other clubs. So you know he wants to be in Atlanta. And I I know we were having these same conversations a year ago with a certain first baseman that's now playing for the Los Angeles Dodgers, but it feels just a little bit different with – uh, Dansby Swanson, because he he is Atlanta. You think about, you know, the fact that he had, you know, the being uh, brought up here and just, you know, what he ties himself to the city in so many different ways. I just would, I, I think this one would almost feel more stunning to me because I know how much he wants to be here, but certainly, you know, there's, once you get other teams involved, you have no way of knowing how things are going to ultimately play out. No, you certainly don't. And I know that the Braves are looking forward to the opportunity to re-engage in conversations that would involve having Dansby Swanson back. They'll be able to do so at the close of the World Series once free agency officially begins. Let's hear from General Manager Alex Anthopoulos, who is the man who's going to be in charge of trying to figure out what it will take to put Dansby Swanson back at shortstop for the Atlanta Braves for the next few years. Yeah, I know there's been seen all the reports and things like that. And he's been quoted. I've been quoted. Same thing. He's a really important player for us. He's a great player. Just like all of our free agents, we're going to stay engaged and see where all that goes. In terms of trying to grade odds, I mean, it's just so hard, right, with so many things. But I think what's been reported has been very accurate in terms of his interest, our interest. And we've both been quoted explaining that. So we'll obviously get to work soon in the offseason, trying to build the best club we can for 2023. And He's an incredibly important part of that club. He's been here for all five of these divisions, been right in the middle. And you know, we talk about all these players and their talent all the time, which he's incredibly talented and what he does. But, you know, he gets better every year. And take away the stats, he's always been a good teammate, but I think he rose to a new level this year as a teammate. I told him that as well. I've been so impressed with him across the board, but he's as good a teammate as you're going to find. We talk about winning player and all that type of stuff, but I think – the more I got to be around, especially towards the playoff run in the end and being around the club a little bit more in the clubhouse, just seeing what kind of teammate he was. He was always good, but the responsibility that he took on uh, that he didn't need to, 
but that's just who he is. He really was incredible to see. We'll respond to that in just a moment, but I also want to hear Alex Antopoulos talking about, from a big-picture sense, not just with the shortstop position, but with everything that he's looking to accomplish this winter. Here is how he sized up where the club finds itself heading into the offseason. If you look at the roster, obviously we have a lot of guys under control. So the obvious holes, we've got free agent at shortstop, which is obviously very important. We've got some free agents in the bullpen. We have potential free agents in the rotation. But you, know, you just don't know what the offseason brings because you know who the free agents are going to be. But until you start talking to clubs about trades and who could be available in trades, you really don't know. And things develop. And, you know, by the time you get to the other end of the offseason, so many things can, can change. So we didn't want to have to start these meetings now in the month of October, but we are. And we'll be ready to go once the World Series is over and uh, go through the process, the GM meetings, the, the winter meetings, and we'll do everything we can, obviously, to continue to build the best club that we can for 23 and beyond that. So that's Alex Antopoulos. Those are actually a couple of different cuts I kind of put together because I felt like it was important to, A, talk about Dansby Swanson and what his free agency looks like and what it means to the Atlanta Braves, and clearly at the top of that list of people who's going to have something to say about it, is going to be Alex Antopoulos, but also, you know, they're just, they're not as many other needs free agency wise for this club. Of course, there's going to be players out there. You're going to want to talk to, as Alex pointed out, there's trades and other options that will be out there for you. As far as the off season is concerned, Corey, I think this is going to be one of those fascinating stories. And I don't want to go down the, you know, the, the chicken little route of saying, well, this didn't work out so well with Freddie Freeman. Dansby Swanson is represented by the same agency, but that's all baked into this pie as well. It's going to be really interesting to see how this one plays out because I know Freddie wanted to stay. I know Dansby wants to stay. This is home to him more so than perhaps even it was for Freddie Freeman, who's not from the Atlanta area. So this is going to be a pretty interesting winter to watch. The shortstop position for the Atlanta Braves with regards to Swanson or whatever's next. You go on a spot track and you see what the market value is for Swanson, and they've got him at $24.8 million, which would be, and you take the average annual value of all the deals that they've been hanging, handing out, would be the highest of, of any of those. And, you know, certainly things get a little bit elevated when you're talking about the shortstop position, but it's a, it's a little bit more digestible than what they're talking about for a guy like Trey Turner. And again, I think the ties to Atlanta, you know, what he means to that clubhouse, you know, you hear guys, to a, to a man, they'll tell you, I mean, Travis Arnaud talked about this before the start of the the uh, DS, just how much he even learns uh, from about leadership from yeah. Dansby Swanson. So you've seen him progress, as Anthopoulos said, each and every year. His war has gone up every year since 2018. They've watched him progress. They've watched him be a key component uh, for the success this team's had. And I think I honestly, I'm just going to say, I, I think I would be stunned if he is wearing a different uniform come opening day 2023. I would certainly be surprised because unlike the Freddie Freeman situation, which again doesn't have to be dressed into every free agent conversation the club ever has, but it's going to be kind of ringing in the background or echoing down the hallway for a while because it just is what it is. You know, this is not, well, Dansby's from somewhere else. He might want to be going XYZ place. It's just, that's not even a factor here. And I do want to know, and I am wondering, and I will all find out together, what exactly the fallout from Freddie, his agency, the Braves, the negotiations, the very public fallout that we saw that involved all kinds of crazy things that the likes of which, I mean, I've never seen anything like that. I'd never even heard of anything like that. And I'm hoping that Dansby Swanson does not have to live through any of that kind of thing. And we'll find out what the Braves and what Swanson have in mind and if these two sides can come to a deal. Now, as the Dansby Swanson story is one we're going to be monitoring this winter, of course, we're going to turn our attention ahead to what's ahead for the Braves when they do get back on the field. Unfortunately, it's not the National League Championship Series. It's going to be spring training of 2023. 
Brian Snitker talked a little bit about his message to the players as he talked to the media following the Braves' exit in Game 4 of the NLDS. I told the players earlier, I mean, we worked really hard to set that bar high. It took a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication organizationally from the players, front office, everybody to set that bar where we got it right now. And that was the whole goal in the beginning. And we've got it there. And these guys in that room and everybody in the organization, we expect to do good. We don't hope to win anymore. We expect to win. You know, and that's good. That's exactly where we wanted this thing to be. And so we're all disappointed that we didn't advance because we know, you know, we're a really good club. But, you know, it's the heartache of sport. And that's I just was talking to Austin Riley, you know, and he felt the same way. And I said, that's why we keep coming back and doing this. You know, I mean, it's tough. And I said, we're a sick breed because we like doing this, you know, putting ourselves through this. But I, I guarantee you, every one of these guys, when that calendar turns in January, their focus is going to be on getting to Florida because we know what we have ahead of us. And Alex has already done a great job in locking up a really good core of young players. So everybody's, you know, uh, we'll turn this page and, and get over it and be focused on winning it again. Well, I'm looking forward to that sick breed shirt whenever that drops. <laughs> I think that's going to be a lot of fun. But as we wrap up here, Corey, I mean, you look at this club and you know what they have been capable of doing the past five years. You know that they are the defending World Series champions, at least for a couple of more weeks. Their season ended in 2022 before they wanted it to. But I think one of the, the great constants of this club over the last few years has been the fact that to a man, they all seem to embody that same message that Brian Snitker just laid out right there. They want this. They're going to work for it. They're going to put in their time for it. Look, one team gets to win it every single year. And as we've seen, no team's won it in back-to-back -back years in just over two decades. And in the National League, it goes back even further than that. I'm excited about the 2023 Braves. It's just going to take me a minute to get over how the 2022 season ended. And I'm sure a lot of Braves fans echo that thought. Yeah, I really wanted Snitch to just break out Cesaro and Sheamus and say, we don't just set the bar, we are the bar. Because ah. it kind of felt like that's what he was talking about there. But yeah, I mean, they've obviously built this standard now. They have that core all together. I mean, as, as frustrating as the ending was to the 2022 season, and I know Braves fans felt like this for a long time, that they were living through this kind of you know, rinse-repeat notion of this, they're not going anywhere. I mean, this is, a, this is a team that's built to win for a long stretch of time with a core that's intact through at least 2025. They're not going anywhere. They're going to be in contention for years and years to come. Yeah, they certainly should be. The 2022 Braves didn't have their season end up the way that they wanted it to, but they did get themselves back into October for the fifth consecutive year. They had an exciting divisional race with the New York Mets, and unfortunately, again, the Philadelphia Phillies seem like the, one of those clubs in October. Will they be the final club standing? Well, we don't know that yet, but they were able to advance first over the Cardinals, then over the Braves, and they're in the NLCS for the first time in over a decade as well in what was a very surprising season for a team that finished in third place in the National League East. So all of the talk about the Mets and the Braves, the Braves and the Mets, well, the Phillies said, that's nice. We're going to go and uh, mm -hmm. go on a run through October. So that is what it is. Corey, I've really enjoyed the year that we've spent together here on From the Diamond. We'll, of course, keep it going in the hot stove season. But thanks, as always, for your time, and I'm looking forward to the next time. I'm ready to get that hot stove percolating, so I'm going to – Run, be in the kitchen real quick. All right, that sounds good. And to all of you out there, thank you so much for making From the Diamond part of your baseball podcast regimen. Remember, you can find us wherever you get your podcast, and you can hear us on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game throughout the fall as well. For Corey McCartney, I'm Grant McCauley. We will catch you next time. And until then, so long, everyone.